0: Hi everybody. Can you, Tommy, can you hear me? I think you can hear me. I think y'all can hear me. Hi everybody. Let's see if I can sit a little bit closer. Can I get this thing a little bit closer? I think, no. I'm not sure what the hell is going on with this. Hi everyone. Uh, I'm in my hotel room in Jersey City. My name is Luke Thomas. You might know me from places like Showtime or uh, CBS Sports, but this is my personal YouTube channel. Sorry about the situation. I'm trying to get the lighting to work the best it gets It's a whole mess. I'm in my hotel room. You guys going to understand. One of my heroes uh, on YouTube is Kyle Kalinsky. And he does these chats like from his phone and shit. And people seem to be just fine with it. So I'd rather just do it and have it look like this than not do it at all. I realize there's way too much headroom. Let me see if I can get this down a little bit. Here we go. It's a little bit better. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to do this. This is episode 104. I've been in Jersey City now for God. It feels like a long time, but it's just been uh, my second full day. And uh, we recorded a bunch of stuff for MK. We did a resume review. We did we did a pregame preview. Um, we shot some other stuff. We did a high court. We're shooting some more stuff tomorrow. Um, yeah, we got a whole lot going on. So it's been a fun time. And I'm happy to be here, but I wanted to uh, I wanted to get this going first. So, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. I'm Again, sorry for this uh, arrangement. It's not that great, but it's the best I've got at the given moment. And, um, yeah, there you go. Brian Campbell, I will see later today. Should be a good time. All right. Uh, well, I mean, I've been seeing him all day, but I'm going to hang out with him a little bit later. Let me pull up your questions. Uh, let me plug it one more time. I've not, loaded, uh, I've not uploaded it to um, YouTube yet, uh, or excuse me, to, to uh, my various podcast platforms yet. But we are on Apple Podcasts. I'll link that in the uh, comments below. It's linked in the video that came out today with John Nash That thing was so fucked. Uh, my camera didn't record my end of things, so I had to constantly put, or I had someone, I had to hire someone to put that screen on there whenever I was talking because it was a constant pain. But anyway, um, in the comments of that, I've pinned the Apple Podcast as well. The the Luke Thomas live chat is, is back on Apple Podcasts. So thanks for everyone for doing that. Um, yeah, okay. That's it for today. I, or that's it for the intro, I think. I don't have a, a stinger on this computer. This is my work computer, which is not great. But uh, I did put up a post today asking for questions. I didn't know what time I was going to be able to do this. So I got to here as early as I could. You guys filled in some, so I'll get to them. If you want me to uh, directly get to one of your questions uh, at the end, like you want to make sure I answer it, you can leave a donation, and then I will look at your information, and I will get to it at the end of the chat, right? So we'll do another 20, 30 minutes on top if there are that many questions that you have paid for. If not, no problem. You can leave ones for free, and that that can be that, okay? Uh, what else? What else? I do have some other stuff, but I can't really announce it today. So without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? Luke, have you seen... Let me, Oh, yeah. Have you seen Jessica Rose Clark's video that she dropped addressing her loss? I think I saw, like. I follow her on Instagram. I, I saw like five or ten seconds of it. I meant to go back to it. No, I didn't see it in totality anyway. What are some other instances of performance anxiety you've seen play out over the course of an MMA fight? I know Adolfo Vieira had something similar in his fight against Anthony Hernandez ended up going to a sports psych because of it. The ones in MMA are actually a little bit harder to detect because they kind of still go through the motions, but only the fighter knows whether or not, um, you know, they need it or what's wrong with them or like why they didn't perform up to that. I mean, I'm not the only ones who know, but sometimes it can be hard to tell, right? Like you and I will watch tape. This is why I'm always like very careful about like what I say when I watch tape, because watching tape is just what happened on the tape. It can be value and in fact is routinely valuable. In fact, I would argue Is undervalued, actually, by um, a lot of folks. But it does have limits, too. You can only really examine the performance they turned in. Telling you why they turned in that performance, sometimes you can figure that out. A lot of times, you don't really know. It can be very difficult. So uh, if she had some kind of performance anxiety or some other issue related to that, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that, number one. And number two, um, the point I was trying to make earlier was it's a little bit harder to detect. I have seen weird sports... Uh, performances that were a little bit different that were clearly mentally related. You guys may not remember this. I made this joke to BC a couple of times. Um, I used to hate the Yankees. I mean I still hate the Yankees, but I used to and I know I have the hat from my Columbia trip. I, I had to get a hat, but I used to fucking hate the Yankees and a um, really bad. And I remember I was watching games. I don't know when he was. I mean, this, I think it was late 90s, early 2000s, around this time. There was this dude who played second baseman at the time for, I think it was the Yankees. Pretty sure. Yeah, it had to be. And his name was Chuck Knoblock. And this motherfucker was really, really good for a long time, but then had this weird issue. I'm not sure at what stage of his career, but I think it was fairly senior, uh, where he was playing uh, second baseman. So if you're looking at a baseball diamond, not first. And I know second is here, but he would play it to the inside, obviously. For folks who don't know the people that play it to the outside, is called the shortstop position. And there's third base. Anyway, so it's one, two, three, four guys in that rounded track, not counting the catcher. He'd be number two in that in that progression. And he would get a grounded ball and then try and throw that thing to first. And dude, he would throw it like not like close to the first baseman. We're talking like well into the stands and not just over him, like. Over him and then seventy-five feet to the right or something. You're like like not even an average human being could do better than that. Like it's almost as if it was, it, it it was just short of having a guy having like an aneurysm in the middle of throwing it. It's impossible to explain, right? It's not physical. There wasn't something physically limiting limiting him from throwing it directly to the first base. It was in his mind. He had some kind of anxiety about it, and it turned to. Something else. Uh, that was a case where you could easily see something was going wrong with him, not from a physical standpoint, but rather something else. But her performance did not. I'm not saying she's not telling the truth. I'm just mean. It did not scream that kind of a thing. But you see some weird things in sports where people do. These guys live and die in their own minds before a, a fight, during a fight, after a fight. It's why you know. It's been a hard lesson for me to learn. But like, I always thought that you know if you were obviously if you're insulting of someone you know all bets are off but if you were critical of someone and it was evidentiary based and made in good faith that there would you know they would love it but they would basically like let it go and i don't even just mean from reporters i mean from other fighters i mean from people that are in their camp anybody they have this very me against the not in the saying i just Rose clark does but often there is this me against the world kind of posturing and what it often results in is um it just results in this incredible sensitivity um certainly to outside criticism but it it, what i mean to say is that it underscores just how protective and frankly like straining that process can be and so uh i don't know exactly where disco rose clark is in that whole process but uh you know i can understand why Given obviously MMA is difficult, but then on top of it, the kind of mental posture you have to have for success, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> I don't have it, you know? It's difficult, man. Uh, I was wondering about your thoughts on Ukrainian citizens and militia engaging invading forces. Boy, I don't recommend it, but they're patriots. While it's justifiable to defend yourself during an invasion, could Russian military spin this into a reason and apply a substantial increase to in their invading forces? since they designated their troops as peacekeepers. Um, I mean, I don't think that they need a ton of provocation for dramatic uh, military response. So I don't know. I don't, I don't foresee that as uh, any kind of, I don't know. I, don't, I know. No, I don't. Putin's going to do whatever. He's going to do what he wants, uh, which is uh, the bad part. Right, it's the bad part. Um, I know there's some other questions related to this, so we'll get to the other parts of it as we get down. Uh, what fighters in all of history do you think I, think I should have got my fucking glasses? Mm. What fighters in all of history do you think would have had the capability in their prime to beat Nganu? Prime Fedor, Prime Krokop, Kerr, Mark Kerr, Coleman Lesnar, definitely like the, the wrestler types. If you've got are you saying in a, oh in their prime to beat Ingano? Well, what about Ingano? Like if you had got if you had sent Lesnar, Coleman, and Kerr, maybe not Coleman and Kerr, but certainly Lesnar around the time that Stipe beat him, yeah, Brock might have beat him. Now I'm not so sure. Now I don't think so. I don't think any of those guys can. Here's the one thing about I mean yes, would would Prime Fedor be so fast and steal on him quickly? And there were so many guys that he beat that were bigger than him. Obviously, they're not the same kind of person at all. But dude, go back and watch Fedor's destruction of Semi Schild. He went to work on Semi Schild. Semi Schild, i met Semi Schult in person. I took a cab with Semi Schult once. Semi-Schild is seven feet tall. Okay. He's from the he's Dutch. He's from the Netherlands. And uh c- couldn't be nicer, by the way. I mean, if you I, so many people I meet in the game are all aggro and shit. You know, uh, not just even former fighters, like coaches, all those, there's just a lot of people that are like, mm-hmm. Semi Schilt seemed to be just the most delightful man and we took a cab he's seven feet tall obviously he has to pull the seat back all the way and sit in the front And you know, that's usually my bit but I'm only six four fucker's seven feet tall and the cat this was in uh Denver this was in Denver for glory and I remember the cab driver looked over him like, like you know he's a fucking large human and the cab driver's like you fight and he was like a little you know just like you know, whatever." And the guy was like, you ever win? And I was like, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. My man, been doing some work out there. Y'all ever seen Semi uh, uh front kick to the sternum KO of Pete Williams? Fuck me, man. Pete Williams has one of the greatest knockouts in UFC history. That The, the, the head kick to uh, Mark Coleman, right? Like, one shot. It was so amazing. Uh, but he was on the end of a couple of bad losses. One, you had the mirror crank that Frank Muir hit on him where he basically just pulled his elbow to the inside with that overhook. And um, and then he had that semi, semi-shelf boy. He put a stomp on his ass. You got to remember, if you're seven feet tall, how big are your feet? Size 16? Size 18? Size 20? I, I, I've seen Shaq's shoe in person. It's a size like 21 or 22. And he's a seven-footer. You know, so how big is sh- semi? Imagine that fucking thing barreling into your chest like and it's this way because it's it's flat I can't put my hand this way but you get the idea it's flat but he put it right there on him oh that must have been terrible that must have been terrible anyway um I don't know where the fuck I was going with that Uh, uh the point is Fedor was able to steal on him but the problem is dude old Francis got a beard on him you know like Stipe hit him with big shots um You know, he was moving backwards, but Rosenstrike was landing on the button on him. Like, dude, people put hands on him. And, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't have an effect, but has he ever been knocked down? Has he ever been... You ever seen seen Francis, like, truly wobbled? I've never even seen... I don't know if I've ever seen him... I've seen him fatigued, obviously. I've seen him beat up. You know, if Stipe was beating on him in the first fight anyway. But, you know, it looks to me like that dude has a fucking beard. Super chin. So, I think all these guys... Could land on him, or maybe maybe Lesnar could make it interesting, you know. But in general, probably not really. Not this. Not this version of Francis. Luke, I just saw the Weasel's video on. Shouts to the Weasel again on the Pereira knockout on Izzy, and it got me thinking of matchups between the stronger versus the more technical fighter. Okay, it seems like in MMA, the more powerful fighters win over the more technical ones most of the time assuming their skills are very similar, okay? The second Dustin versus Max fight always comes to mind, where Dustin eventually decided to just walk through Max's punches to land his power shots. What are your thoughts on these kinds of matchups, and how do you think a matchup between Izzy and Pereira would go? I think your general diagnosis is pretty correct. You'll get these guys who are good strikers. You know, they know their way around the mitts, and they've got a couple of tricks up their sleeve probably usually have good power usually good athletes but they're not as refined as some of the other guys in their division but what they have is a willingness to take a little bit they might have a style where they have high hands so they have a high guard it's conducive to walking guys down um they just get a lot of better results when they move forward given some of their other deficiencies like they're not as much on setting traps like colby obviously it really weaves in a a takedown threat into that. But you can actually look at his striking, like in the Lawler fight in the second and third round, I think he only had like two or one takedowns even attempted in those rounds. He was just laying hands on him. Um, you know, he's not a super heavy handed guy and he's not really an elite striker, but if he can just make it to borrow the club from people tossing dollars in the club, if he can make it rain on you where it's just constant, constant volume in your face, um, you know, um, it's certainly, going to be a hard thing to beat now as it relates to this particular question. Sorry, a bit of a tangent. There are guys who the ones who get over, like right? so, the strong guys who push forward got a little bit of ability. The refined strikers who can beat that usually have a couple of things going for them. One, they usually can match or exceed them in power, or at a bare minimum, you know, a lot of guys who have big power they only have big power around headshots and they don't do a ton of body work. These are guys that maybe not are pound for pound as strong as them in terms of punching but can deliver punishment in a wider array of targets. And that sets up other kinds of uh, vulnerabilities. So that's one. Two is they usually have the ability to make the other person really respect what they're throwing at them to slow them in some capacity. A lot of times these guys can march through that stuff um, because they can literally march through it. They can literally just kind of run with it. And you know, some mechanism or another, and get to where they need to go. It's the ones who can put a, who can really stuff that with a hard jab, really in their face, making them second guess themselves, or being showing incredible lateral uh, and movement, or in boxing, you know, incredible ring generalship and IQ. Like uh, you go back to what Canelo was doing against Aris Landy Lara. Dude, he had Lara on the run, but Lara's footwork in that fight is a fucking a, a defensive footwork anyway, off the back foot, very, very good, very good, very, very, very thorough for the most part. Um, so to answer your question, in MMA, I see a lot of these guys they are not as elite as the other person in striking, but they've got a couple other physical uh, dimensions to their game that allow them to overcome that. But for the very, very elite ones who have some mechanism of slowing that, that march. Luke Habib, who has ties with the Russian government. Uh, who is also starting a new promotion who wishes to be the biggest in the world one day? USA is trying to cut out as much resources to Russia as possible. Is there any possible corruption scenarios you can see happen with capital Eagle FC? I'm not sure what this person's writing. It's a little bit messed up there. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen, y'all. Uh, what a mess. First of all, there's all these athletes who are not Ukrainian who are trapped in the Ukraine. You know, I saw all uh, uh Cruz over at MMA fighting he had a story on a couple of Brazilian fighters who were stuck there. I saw some uh all Brazilian fighters or Brazilian uh, athletes who are stuck in a hotel in Kiev who uh, play for Shakhtar Donetsk. If you don't know that, I mean if you're I'm sure I'm saying the name wrong, but it's uh it's like the essentially the 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 I think it's the Kiev. Uh, or maybe they're from the, uh, the separate region, but it's a Ukrainian uh, team, soccer team, so good that they play in, in Champions League tournaments. They're very, very, in, in that sense. They're not like a premier team. They're not like a Manchester United or something, but they do play, uh, at least in, in some of those larger um, tournaments. And um, they're stuck, in. They're stuck, and they asked the Brazilian government to help them, but dude, like, what, right now? What the fuck is the Brazilian government going to do? It's just a It's so horrible, dude. It's a human tragedy. I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen. Maybe Ukraine just folds real fast. And I mean, every scenario is bad. I mean, every scenario is bad. I'm just trying, is there going to be a scenario where, oh my God, dude, this is so bad. I mean, where do you even begin? Like there could be a refugee crisis if, if millions of refugees flee Europe. And I know Americans are like, well, that's a European problem. Let me tell you something folks. Uh, if enough of them leave, that's not a European problem. They're going to have to go somewhere else. And of course, it's not a problem in the sense that human beings desperate for shelter and and no war, they're, 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 they're not, they're, this is of course the thing that we should all help them. But what I mean to say is it, it does create a challenge. It creates a challenge for how you handle all of that. There could be a major humanitarian crisis just by virtue of that. There could be, how about innocent Russians who don't want any part of this war, whose family have to go off and fight it and they might die. Um, the increasingly escalating sanctions that are existing uh, that President Biden just put in—that's going to choke their economy, at least to some degree. Now, obviously, the super elites find ways around it. And I'm sure Putin will as well. and has since 2014 around the existing line of sanctions, but um, they're all going to, dude. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to suffer. Everyone will suffer. I mean, maybe not Putin himself, and, and you know, a handful of other oligarchs. Maybe him too, but. Oh, it's so bad. It's so, 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 so terrible. So terrible. I don't even. It's it's a it's a. The, the question is not whether it is calamity, even if there's no bloodshed, and you know they set up some kind of puppet government loyal to Putin. That's still terrible for everyday Ukrainians and their lives. So that's not great. Although I guess it's less bloodshed, or there could be tremendous bloodshed, in which case. You know what's going to happen to Ukraine? What's going to happen to a country that people have built and lived lives in, and loved, and have made families, and all of that could be destroyed. Um, I don't. I don't even know what to say. It's just a scale of disaster that is. I won't say without historical precedent. That would be wrong, but. Um, the potential for hard to fathom calamity is much higher in in this case than I think, um, I guess, the first time since the Iraq war that I felt. I mean, you know, in terms of state actors and whatnot, since the first time since the Iraq war, where I was like, oh, fuck, man. I had such a bad feeling when I I first saw all of that. I was like, oh my God. And they began showing people going, the Marines who got were off the Marine Expeditionary Force who were there and they were going house to house already and they were showing this shit and, and kids crying. And I had friends who did all that. Dude, that it scars the people who who do it. It scars even worse the people who have it has it done to them. It radicalizes them. Uh golly, dude. I mean, how are they, how was how Russia planning? To, I mean, I, don't, I it, all of it depends on the scale of their military ambitions. Do they want to have a full-scale occupation of Ukraine? What is it they want to do? I don't even know, who the hell knows what they're going to do, but it is a horrific situation. And um, I'm without words beyond what I've already said. I, it's I, It's bad. It's very, 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 very terrible. Someone's asking about this, man. I don't really have a lot to say, to be honest with you. Um, John Jones, man. Mm. Dude, he needs help. He needs help. That's a bad situation, bro. That's I don't wish. I you know. I don't love everything that has happened between us. Uh, love what happened in 2017 and you know i know a lot of people have feel like uh, he's skirted responsibility and and frankly punishment at times and that's that's been true it's not an untrue thing i don't know how you can look at the pattern of abuse at this point self-abuse or otherwise Than what you saw on that body cam footage, and not realize the guy's got just genuine, serious um, mental health and potentially addiction issues. You know, and then I I thought the tweeting he did of the situation related to his um, fiance, it's like, dude, I don't want to know this, man. It's not my business. I don't, why, why are you tweeting this? I know he deleted it. It's like, dude, you're making a news cycle that brings your family into it when if you didn't say anything, there's no news cycle around that. You got to protect them, bro. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I, I I don't know what he's doing. Honestly, dude, I don't I don't even know if he knows what he's doing. I don't know. I'm not close enough. I don't know. But I don't know how you can watch that and be like, yeah, you know, he's kind of got couple things to work on, but no no red flags. The whole thing is just, and then, of course, all of the history leading up to that moment. It's all uh, red flag city. This is something that y'all need to wrap your heads around a little bit, man. John's, whatever issues he has, and again, he would need a specialist and some kind of mental health professional to better assess to competently assess what is there i mean i'm better assessed competently to, to accurately assess what is there i i can only infer from afar except that the red flags are so blatant that some um investigation into this is by by the you know by the investigation i don't mean that the mental health professionals helping him is, is in order but dude they didn't start yesterday they have been in motion probably for some time and if he if he by his own admission is tracing them to some forms of abuse or trauma he may have suffered in his past first of all you have to understand something he is suffering now he may be doing things where he needs to be punished for them and they're not good and you don't have to be okay with them but if that is true he is suffering uh and as long as he is suffering he will continue to suffer and then the problems will continue to metastasize but this is what i want you to understand if it has gone on that long he has i'm not gonna say i don't know how related everything is but it has happened while he was winning. Now he may continue winning, but what if he doesn't? What happens when he starts losing? Now I don't know if he will. Again, he may go in there and fight Stipe, he might fight Francis, he might fight all of them and whoop their asses, in which case this point is utterly irrelevant. But you at least should probably think of a scenario where what actually happens to everything being held together, if he loses, I don't know that I want to find that out. To be honest with you, I don't think any of us want to find that out. Not until um, I hope he gets help, man. I hope he gets help, dude. I don't. I don't look at someone in that position, and again, it's not to say that any misdeeds uh, that they that there may not be some kind of you know reckoning with all of that. But I don't know how you can look at that and be like, oh, he's clearly not in pain or suffering from things that are, that you know, they're affecting him into his mid to mid-30s at this point. Like, where do you think that, if he doesn't do anything about it, and of course, he's the only one who can, like, where do you think it's going to go? It's just going to keep going. It doesn't just go away, these, these problems like this. Um, and, you know, you have to wonder, like, how much of all of it was held together because he was winning. And then if that's not in place, what happens after? I don't I don't wanna find out that dude, he, the guy is suffering. He is in pain and he is suffering. And my only hope is that um, everyone he's ever wronged, I hope he finds a way to right it. But most importantly, he can't even begin to do that until he takes care of himself. He's gotta take care of himself. And if he doesn't do that, then I don't know what to tell anyone, but he's, he's, he's in pain. And he's suffering, and I hope that he can find a way. Let me explain something to you, man. If you really believe in reformation, if you really believe that people, of course, when they want it, and sometimes they don't want it until it's difficult to attain, but if they want it and reformation is possible, and you really believe in that, then you have to hold a place for him there. I hold a place for him there. Maybe he never walks through that door. Uh, He doesn't need me to hold that door or anything else, whatever the metaphor may be, but if you're going to grant that to someone, then you have to show enough humanity to them to get them on the right path. You can hold whatever grudge you want to hold against them. But I don't know how you can look at that and be like, you know, you, again, you can say one more time that all the things he's ever done wrong. He kind of got away with them and, and he needs to, you know, there needs to be some kind of reckoning for that. Yeah, all right. But I, I don't wish for his problems to get worse. They are quite manifestly very serious. He got arrested like a year ago during the middle of 2021 popping guns off and drinking in the middle of Albuquerque dude he's not okay. And I'm not serious like I'm like pro- I've got everything figured out dude I've, I fuck me dude I've got nothing figured out but I've got at least some orientation around the idea that like when you're suffering and you, it's causing you life problems, however they manifest themselves, you you have to address it otherwise it will it will it will eat you alive. I think he's being eaten alive and I don't wish that upon him. I don't wish that upon his family. I don't wish that upon anybody. I really, and I mean this sincerely, dude, I hope that dude gets help. I really do. True help, true help, true ability to see things for what they are, having an understanding of a life well lived, not just being rich and famous, which of course he is, but, and you know, he's been a very successful athlete, but I mean more than that, like living it, having, having an inner life that, uh, that is rich and that is rewarding and not eating at you. Imagine flipping that, you know? Look, I hear conflicting stories about who Colby is behind the gimmick. On one half, people like, I'm sorry guys, I cannot read my eyes, Jesus. One half, people like Dustin and Masvidal said he's always been a bad human, but others who have trained with him said he is a good human. I've heard both as well. I'll say this. I um, I think Danny Segura has some reporting coming out. I'm not sure when. Uh, maybe it, that's a that's a him and his editor thing, and I won't even spoil it. But I think he's got – I'll just say this. I think he's got a report coming out on this that's very clarifying. I'll just leave it at that. And so be on the lookout for one of his reports. You'll know when you see it. You'll know when you see it. Who is the better co-host? B.C. <laughs> Or Anthony Smith. I love Anthony Smith, but I got to go with my guy, obviously. That's funny. Uh, Hi, Luke, what are you reading these days? funny you mention that. Always love to hear. I can't read this. Always love to hear your recommendations and thoughts. Yeah. Um, I've actually. Oh, here it is. Here we go. It was in my bag, too. This is all. Let me see if I can see myself so I can see this. It's funny enough. I've never really been all that interested in like Russian history and all that kind of stuff. People ask me, like, how do you find good books to read? A lot of different things. People recommend you stuff. Here's one little trick you can try, either on whatever your preferred form of social media is. On Instagram, what I'll end up doing is I'll follow a lot of publishing companies. And when they have big books that they're trying to show you, whether it's related to a month or a holiday or, or whatever is going on, they promote them on their Instagram page. And I saw one. Um, I'm not sure who, uh, I guess Harvard Publishing does this. I, I don't even really know. I don't. Whatever, it's, I got it from a different place. But uh, I got it from bookshop.org, which is a book sales book place. But I do follow the publishing companies. Anyway, I saw one of these. This is what I've been reading. Um, you can't quite read it because I think it's backwards on your end. It's from Thane Gustafson, not the kind of Alexander. It's called Climate or Klimat, however the Russians pronounce it. Um, Russia in the Age of Climate Change. It was written by this dude, Thane Gustafson, professor of government at Georgetown University, a widely recognized authority on Russian political economy and formerly a professor of Harvard university. He has several other books. Basically the argument is as follows. Russia is fucked. Russia is super fucked. Now I bought this weeks and weeks ago. I, I, I it's just sort of coincidental. Everything's happening. And I, I, I'm not, I'm only how far along in my like, 220 pages. I've still got another hundred to go. Um, Ukraine doesn't figure much in this book. So I really don't know if there, I don't know much about that. I, I, I candidly don't know much about this part of the world. I'm sure it's quite obvious. But this. the premise of this book is interesting. He doesn't talk past 2050, but here's what he says. He says Russia is super fucked and probably lots of countries are going to suffer under the weight of the increasingly um, sort of apparent problems of climate change. Poor countries, of course, will suffer famine and whatever else. But of the great powers, he actually thinks Russia is uniquely fucked. They're the world's largest exporter of hydrocarbons, but there are a lot of things happening. One, the um, he believes that essentially the appetite and using them as the market for this by 2050 will have evaporated. So they won't be able to sell those things. And while there might be a something of a gain from climate change on two levels that it increases the agricultural crop yield in southern areas of russia that is true or at least that's conceivable could happen and two if the north pole warms it could be a 365 uh shipping route for a lot of different parties that they could control and they could get money from that as well that's true but all those gains he argues won't offset all of the losses that they get from the decline of the market in hydrocarbons and um and so, as the planet warms and consumption for that drops, their economy, he argues, is in no way situated. Yes, Putin has um, shielded the elites from sort of the the having to put him in a place to like influence him to make reforms. So, like, they don't ever badger him about doing anything. They do have a vast array of nuclear power, which may figure into the Ukrainian thing. I don't know. You have to ask an expert. Um, and with that. They want to be a global leader and a global exporter of uh, nuclear technology. So, you know, again, there are some ways in which that could somewhat be mitigated. But the the very premise of the book, I mean, here's the sort of the, the thing. Thane Gustafson predicts that over the next 30 years, climate change will leave a dramatic imprint on Russia. The decline of fossil fuel use is already underway and restrictions on hydrocarbons will only tighten, cutting fuel prices, slashing Russia's export revenues. Yet Russia has no substitutes for oil and gas revenues. The country is unprepared for the worldwide transition to renewable energy as Russian leaders continue to invest in national wealth and oil and gas while dismissing the promise of post-carbon technologies, nor has the state made efforts to offset the direct damage that climate change will do inside the country. Optimists point to new opportunities, higher temperatures yielding higher agricultural yields and, of course, the shipping lanes, uh, and Russia could become a global nuclear energy supplier, but the eventual post-Putin generation of Russian leaders will nonetheless face enormous handicaps as their country finds itself weaker than at any time in the preceding century. Um, they're fucked is basically the premise of this. So that's what I'm reading. It's quite compelling and well-articulated and and, and well-argued. I'm curious uh, on what the end goal for MK is for yourself in BC. Oh, with routines and scheduling in different segments. Yeah, I don't know what the long-term plan is, to be quite honest with you. We never got into it with the long-term. I didn't come into it with like a, here's a 10-year plan. I just thought that I needed to get the fuck away from my previous employer, and Showtime was offering me a great deal, and I just needed a little bit of, um, we needed to do some things to make it work, and we did, and, and there we go. So I, I didn't go into it with some grand vision for a long time. The other part I would say is, You know, there's a lot of different moving pieces to MK that have nothing to do with, it sounds contradictory, but there's all pieces to what we're doing that has nothing to do with the actual show. So what are my goals for MK? I don't know, man. I want to do a really great podcast that I'm proud of and that people listen to. I I don't, it's not much more than that. That's it. Some more Ukraine questions. The only thing to think about on the Ukraine stuff uh, that is, that this book did mention that I didn't realize uh, there is a the old sanctions from 2014 when they annexed Crimea. I didn't realize this, those were they uh, They may have been initially executive action, but right now they actually are controlled by Congress. Those things are just going to live there forever. The uh, Congress actually has control over those sanctions for whatever reason. Again, I'm not sure of the origin of them. The ones that were issued today by the president were uh, executive degrees. But they're the, they're the ones from 2014, we're not trying to apparently, as I understand it, box and box Russia out of the world global economy. This one is. And, and there's a couple other things that they might end up doing um, that could be at, at the next stage of cutting them off also hurts us. So we'll see what they do. Do you see the U.S. dragged into war? Jesus Christ, I hope not. Dude, does anyone think that this ends if you go to war with Russia right now? Does this end in any other thing other than abs aside from nuclear? uh, No, no, this is a terrible idea. I feel profoundly awful for the people of Ukraine. But, um, you know, just from the American perspective, while I wish for the state to issue as many, and by the way, sanctions hurt, you know, they hurt the ordinary Russian a lot. And that, create social unrest but that is not exactly like elites and Putin feeling that pinch so there's another issue to sanctions that are not all that great but to the to the question you're raising dude like they're always going to have a little bit Russia's always going to have a little bit more of um are simply going to be willing to play chicken on this a lot more. Ukraine means a lot more. I'm not saying that this provocation is in any way justified, but strategically, for many reasons, Ukraine is probably a lot more important to them than it is to the United States. I don't think that's an unfair statement. And uh, as bad as this is, it could only get worse if America starts fighting ground troops. I mean, are you fucking kidding? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. this is terrible, but we live in a world where we have to make choices between terrible outcomes, at least as uh, in terms of states and. Um, no, that would be you would be risking nuclear Armageddon. No, I would be extremely opposed to that, no. Uh, There's questions all over the place. They're asking about Ukraine. I'll kind of leave it alone. I mean, I've given you basically everything I know about the situation. I mean, I could talk more about the climate stuff. That's not all that related. Um Someone does ask, how goes your training, eating, and healthy lifestyle progression? All that's in play, down 42 total. I have a weigh-in Friday. So, tom- yeah, no, tomorrow, but at home. So, I guess I'll put it to Saturday. So, I have a weigh-in Saturday then. I, I do them in the, morning, so in the morning. So, I'll put it one day later. No big deal um it's going great the training is still not great uh but i think i might have that situation close to resolved close to resolved but yeah dude like it's like none of my clothes look look at this i can take it off now because i uh can you guys see this let's see i had to get my so i would just wear my wedding ring and i would like you know point or something and my ring would fall off because i lost so much weight my wedding ring came off and just comes off not even with soap anymore it just comes off So my wife, I don't know if you guys can see it. You can see these little rings around the ring itself. She had to put these on and it it acts as basically friction between your finger and the ring. So then if I put it on, now it doesn't, even then, no, it stays. Uh, There you go. But I lost so much weight, they all came off. Um, So going good, dude. You know what? Not drinking has had a profound effect. My God, man, I tried to do, we did a pregame preview yesterday. I couldn't, I could I it, like, I'm at the point now where if I put a drink, if I drink a drink, a alcoholic drink, it feels like my brain, my brain is telling me, and even though no, it's not exactly true in that sense, but my brain is telling me like, this is poison. Don't drink this. It's like a weird space to be in. And then I'll vape and then I'll be a total hypocrite about it. But I'm just telling you on the drinking. So I'll tell you what, man, vaping is terrible and I will stop. But if the choices are, you know, a weed usage or alcohol usage and what is better for health outcomes. Not that this is some grand revelation, but Jesus, dude, the alcohol is terrible for you. Terrible. If you were to design Luke's magical fighter to beat Izzy, what would that fighter excel at? And what about Habib? If you were to design Luke's magical fighter to beat Izzy, what would that fighter excel at? like a no-bullshit guy, like there's no doubt he wins every time. Hamzat has some things that, I'm not saying Hamzat can do it, oh he probably, or he maybe can, but I'm saying like that kind of skill set, grappling mixed with strong chain wrestling mixed with um, ground and pound and submission threats. Yeah, those guys are, again, I think would be tough for him. Um, again, I'll go back to it, dude. I think somebody who, one way or the other uh, can take away his leg kicks. I think obviously what Blachowicz did in checking them and then kind of using his physicality to both lean on him and pancake him on top, but also, you know, not, not bigger per se, like whatever, but well, there's been physical guys in his weight class. He's tough guy. Honestly, I, I, I'm sure that there are striking solutions to what he offers. And again, I think checking the leg kicks makes him resort to different kinds of offense that are not – nearly as effective as what he can do when those things are in play but i would say just generally i would find the, the chain wrestle grappler submission gnp type they they that is somebody who is going to give a lot of guys problems but in particular um somebody like her again i don't I, I said it on the other thing i don't think his takedown defense is bad it's not it's good i don't think his grappling is bad it's not it's good that's not the argument the argument is that he only goes to it offensively when he are in these very narrow circumstances, and to what extent does the reliance on a very accomplished, but by but definitionally somewhat limited skill set, how does that impact you long term? It creates windows for guys who have as good as as sturdy as the champs defense is, and it's sturdy. Uh, it creates an opportunity for those guys, those relentless pressure guys, to create some problems. You associate yourself with CBS Sports and sometimes Showtime. I mostly follow your work on MK, a Showtime production, which airs a lot of content per week. So I associate you with Showtime and sometimes CBS Sports because I'm not familiar with the other side of your work. Sounds like Brian writes a lot for CBS and is on the road more to cover boxing events. What do you do for CBS Sports? He's not on the road more than me now. Only more on the road in the sense of what he does for Showbox. But outside of his individual Showbox gig, we're basically on the road at the same amount of times now. There there was a couple of times last year where I couldn't go with like weird schedule conflicts. But trust me, his showbox schedule puts him on the road more. But absent that showbox job, we have the identical schedules. So that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, dude, they wanted me to write. And when I negotiated my job, I told them under no, under no circumstances am I writing. And I had them put that in my contract. My contract explicitly states, that if I want to write, I can, but I'm not required to. His contract, he signed it before I ever got there. He signed it like a year and a half before I ever got there. Um, and so he was kind of already grandfathered into what and, and, and they had a real significant need at the time. They, they have a need for me too, I suppose. But they had a real significant need at the time to get hit. You know, they needed a writer. They needed. They needed all the things he was doing. They needed a guy they could rely on. And so it was great for them. And they need them now, but I, I, I was done with writing. I was done. I mean, after I I, I was done. I'm, I am I might find the time on the occasional piece. There are times I get the itch, but I, I don't write for them because I explicitly put it in my contract that I'm not going to do that. So that's why you don't see that. So what do I do for them? Um, a lot. But I do a lot of stuff that you guys may not sort of see. I do a lot of HQ stuff with them. We have a meeting next month because they want to sort of do and have a more robust involvement. But um, But but because he has that editorial obligation, BC does. He does have a lot more connection to the .dot com. I don't have much of a connection to the .dot com. But um, I like it my way. <laughs> I've heard you speak highly of John Jones's new strength and conditioning coach. Yes, he is very good. Stan Effordine is his name. The Rhino. I don't have a single bad thing to say about Stan Efferding. With that being said, what do you make of his of his form in his workout videos? I haven't seen one lift where he's using proper technique, full range of motion. He's got his own ideas about different kinds of ranges of motion. Or maybe you're talking about somebody else. I don't know if you're talking about Stan or not. I saw him do like a uh, I saw him do like a like a one-legged Romanian deadlift and you know, maybe it wasn't the cleanest technique I've ever seen, but it was hardly bad. Uh Plus, you know, he's big. He's going to have some range of motion issues relative to a, you know, a swimmer type. Um, But dude, just look at his, his numbers on like actual lifts. Like, you know, he's a, I think he's a far in excess of a 600 pound deadlift pull. I think he's seven or eight. Um, You know, squatting is near those numbers. Has been, I don't know his benches anymore, but Dude, he's strong as shit. He's super muscular. Yeah, okay. In certain cases, he doesn't have the prettiest technique, but his understanding of everything relating to muscle growth and dieting and real, real gym practices, what's good for what kind of athlete. He's got a real clear sense of customization for what every different kind of individual athlete might need based on training stimulus, based on size, based on all different kinds of variables. Stan has always been a real level-headed guy, and he's got real practical application experience. Um, you know, married with uh, a real appreciation for what the data shows. I, I like Stan Effordine. I don't really have anything at all bad to say about him. Every time he speaks, I I I'm sure I've disagreed with him on one thing or the other. No two people agree on everything, but I do when he speaks. I listen. I listen. Um, I don't know how much he has done in the way of training. MMA athletes I don't think John Jones is his only client I think he said he's had some other clients John would be his most high profile certainly um but when it comes to building muscle when it comes to you know I would say certainly diet as well but athletic performance dude state is hard to go wrong with Stan up hard to go wrong First of all, the John Jones body cam footage gave me the SADS. He is more troubled than advertised. Yeah. Yeah, man, he is. Um. Yeah. That's a great question. Outside of those in the GOAT conversation, Jones, St. Pierre, Silva, which former champ, champs have the best title defense runs? in your opinion. I don't know about title defense runs outside of the greats because usually the rest of them are not that long. Obviously, what the champ champs did, so your hendos and pride, uh, which wasn't a long run either, but you get the idea. Um, Cormier, Cejudo, these are not the same things you're asking, I realize, but, you know, performance, elite performance around title fights that is not explicitly these long, Runs, but like you're asking, like who had a decent medium sized run? Um, Cormier, um, Velazquez for a time. Um, well, he lost it and then got it back, but then that run after he got it back was good, short but good. I'm trying to think Woodley had a decent run, I thought. You know, I, I know a lot of people say, Oh, the Maya fight was suck." Blah, blah blah. First of all, he knocked out Robbie Lawler. The Maya fight was not great, but he wrote the blueprint on how to defend against Maya and uh, so, you know, Colby and. Camaro picked up from there. Who else did he... Oh, Darren Till is another good one. Uh, I think he had one more in there somewhere. I forget who it was. Let me see. I'm forgetting. I don't want to shortchange T. Wood. Uh, let's see. He... Wonder Boy. And the Wonder Boy fights as well. I mean, you know, everyone could say that the, one, the second Wonder Boy fight wasn't that great. First one was, was fight of the night at UFC 205. So that run he had, that Gastelum, excuse me, John Kyung Kim, Gastelum Lawler, the Thompson fight was a draw, but then the rematch, then Maya, then Till, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> What's your favorite Mexican, excuse me, excuse me. Luke, what is your favorite healthy Mexican food? So this person writes, being Mexican-American, I know it's hard to make healthy Mexican food. I would actually argue that it's eat Mexican food. Let me give you a recommendation. I am not a nutritionist. I am, as you well know, I am not you know a dietitian. I have not. Ha- I don't have any advanced degrees or training in any of this. I can only give you things I did on my journey, and you can decide if it works for you or it doesn't work for you, or you can take it and say, Hey, ex- uh, some other expert. Hey, this this person who is not an expert did this. What do you make of this? So I'm asking you to double check this. And I'm asking you to recognize this may or may not work for you. Here is one thing that really worked for me. Mexican food, provided you understand what you can eat and what proportions, is actually some of the very best to eat. First of all, salsa is extremely low in calories. And if you can make it correctly, it is full of good taste. Salsa verde, real acidic tastes. Um, Obviously, you can't live on salsa alone, but I just mean you can dump salsa on eggs. You can dump salsa on rice and beans and so many other things, and it's quite delicious. Second of all, Mexican food is often deconstructed. Sometimes when you get something brought to you, you know, okay, Mexican Mexican cuisine, I should say this, as I understand it, has at least some food options where the food is deconstructed. Now, of course, if you order suiza enchilada, you know, they're going to bring you something that's got melted cheese and salsa verde and has been baked in an oven. There's a process that's gone into it. But for example, you could order something like, or you could make at home, something like fajitas, where you can have lean protein if you want. You can go veggie if you want. You can have lean animal protein. Of course, I'm not saying you can never eat cheese or dairy, but you can maybe apportion it very effectively. I usually, when I would order those things, I would skip the the tortilla rolls, and then I would get like a cup of rice and then maybe half a cup of black beans. But then you could have all the salsa, all the onions, everything else, squeeze that lime on top. Dude, that's a delicious meal. That's a delicious meal. I can have a proportional amount of rice, a proportional amount of sour cream or whatever is, you know, again, working within my macros. I can have this delicious steak. I can have this, uh, these these stir fried uh, veggies. I'm full. I'm satiated. You can even throw in guacamole if it fits inside your macros. Again, that was the system that worked for me. And I would routinely seek out Mexican restaurants for that reason, because I could have tasty food that I enjoyed. That was satiating and met my macros. I could get like when I'm training hardcore, which is not now, but when I am, you can get so much animal protein and really hit your your macros in the right way. You can keep your fat low by keeping the dairy low, dude. Mexican food, if you want to eat healthy, you the, the there are there are several options that um, are quite good. So. That's what I did. I I did that all the time. You can go to Chipotle. I'll tell you exactly what my order is at Chipotle. I'm not telling you, you have to like this. I know someone's going to hear this and be like, that's the worst way to eat Chipotle. Don't eat it if you don't like it. Here's what my order is when I go to Chipotle. I will either get half rice and half beans or I get one serving of rice. If I get, uh, you know, because I don't want, because the problem with beans is they're really good. They're full of fiber, but they can really add to the carb and caloric totals. So they're good for you. Just, you know, everything in the right amounts. Um, So either one of those, I'll get double chicken, I'll get fajitas, I get uh, salsa verde, and I get the red salsa, I get half a serving of sour cream, and lettuce on top, and then I get the pico de gallo. That is mine. That is, I think, either, if you get the single chicken, I know it's less than 800 calories. If you get it with the double chicken, it's right around 800 calories. We'll do the math on that. If you ate three of those a day, you would be around 2,400 calories. 2,400 calories for me would be a significant uh, calorie deficit and you would be full as shit and you'd be well within your macros and well within um, your protein thresholds that you need. Like dude, deconstructed food where everything is not mixed together and it's hard to separate out, deconstructed food, if you can find it that way, uh, is great. Now I also make time for food that is, you couldn't deconstruct it and I'm gonna have all the tasty things that I want when I want them. But uh, actually, that has been some of the best eating I've done in the last year. <laughs> I've consistently, every time I go to a Mexican place, fajitas, bro. In the video, the documentary, episode six, you see me and BC go to a Mexican restaurant. I specifically asked the cameraman who was local at the, no, excuse me, the sound guy. The sound guy was local to Vegas. He was like, you got to check out our 24 hour drive through weed spots here. I was like, yep, 24 hour drive-through weed spots in Las Vegas. Holy fucking shit. I have I have, I have disparaged this city in all the wrong ways. Uh, I asked them to take us to the Mexican place. And then you can see me in there complaining how much meat they gave me because they gave me way too much. What did I order? Fajitas. Fajitas. Easy. Easy. You can control every element of the apportioning. You can get all your fats, all your proteins, all your... Carbs. You can stay within your caloric total. It's delicious. It's just great. It's a great option. So there you go. I hope that helps. Uh, with Brendan Schaub's departure from Showtime, does this mean we will never see another episode of Coast to Coast again? Well, you mean like the Showtime thing we did? <laughs> yes, that Showtime thing won't exist anymore. Might you see a, a, a Schaub and Luke collaboration? I certainly hope. I certainly hope. Let's see. Uh, hey, Luke, when Benil Darius returns, who would be the best matchup for him to move toward the title? When Benil Darius returns, who would be the best matchup? Okay, let me take a look at the rankings and see. Because that's good. when I say the best, you have to sort of ask also like, okay, there's the which list, and then there is the actual list uh, and where that might place him. So he currently sits at three. Charles is your champ. One is Gaethje. Two is Poirier. Three is Darius. Four is Makachev. Five is Chandler. Six is Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos has a fight coming up. Maybe if he wins, you could do that. That would be a possibility. Um, If Faziv wins that, he would probably still be a little bit outside. Um, You've got – don't Chandler and Ferguson have business coming up? And Hooker, too. Who's Dan Hooker coming up? Dan Hooker. What do you got going on? Arnold Allen, UFC Fight Night something like that so i would say that the best possible answers are going to be something in the neighborhood of the winner rda if he wins uh potential ferguson chandler fighter and then potentially dan hooker after that all right luke i want to know your stance on on the vaccines at this point in time well that's a question excuse me that's a declarative statement not a question You mean like, like all vaccines, the vaccine, the vaccines. Well, in general, uh, I would say vaccines have been great. I didn't enjoy getting the anthrax vaccine. That one sucked. There were some side effects from that one. I had to get three doses of that one too. That wasn't all that fun. Um, Probably some things they shot me up with a boot camp. I don't even know what the fuck they were. That wasn't all that fun. I'm not sure how much medical benefit it conferred. If you're asking about the COVID vaccine, uh, I'm extremely supportive of them. They have been, uh, in, in general, you know, the polio vaccine that I have and the chicken pox vaccine. I, I am glad that we have little miracles that in some cases outright prevent or in many cases um, certainly negate the effects of the disease. And uh, I think that I am grateful to the scientific establishment for creating them. I don't really have any, you know, you can declare, you can make some conversations about uh, which ones are better than others, whether COVID or not. Um, but I think very highly of them. Here's something I just want you folks to consider, uh, it's less about vaccines specifically, but I was trying to figure out, well, I'll just say this, I'll state it simply like, uh, you know, you guys all know we're, I mean, I, well, oh, Jesus Christ. America has a certain tolerance for um, the suffering of its people in ways that I cannot quite explain. We are indifferent to school shootings. We are indifferent to COVID deaths. We are indifferent to vehicular deaths. Although I will say, I got to say, one thing I was interesting, going to Columbia, uh, as many times as I've been, they have in certain ways much stronger protections about other forms of societal troubles, but they're much laxer about their tolerance around vehicular trauma and death. Like dude, there's a lot of people in that country that relative to ours, population wise, that get maimed and killed in traffic accidents. It's crazy. It's crazy. And they drive like fucking maniacs. But, um, but in this country, I feel like we have a certain numbness to, um, The suffering of others and our political and other forms of will to do anything about it. And of course, all of these problems that we see, whether they are inner city problems, whether they are, you know, there's not enough rural hospitals, there's not enough uh, being done about, you know, homeless populations, wherever you may go, not everyone can care about everything and not every solution to a problem is all that available to us. But we generally have a, I think, relative to our peers, a much stronger. Tolerance for uh, the suffering of one another without interfering and doing anything about it. Um, We just had, well, it's Biden's fault, but we just had 41 million, I think it was 41 37 or 41 million American U.S. children fall back into poverty after some of the pandemic protections were no longer extended. I don't know that anybody cares. Again, we have school shootings all the time. People say they care, but there's no really political constituency or will to get this changed. And then, you know, we're going to run up on a million COVID deaths and no one really cares. And you sort of go back to like what our pure nations, like a Denmark, you know, all, all, virtually all of our pure nations, I think, I think, I think yes, I think all of our pure nations have better, they have lower death per thousand on COVID than, all, than us, but I think, I think we're the worst among any industrialized nation, certainly as it relates to the Italy's and the France's and the Germany's of the world far, far worse. So when I hear these arguments, like we did too much for COVID, I'm just fucking laughing. I'm like, okay, all right. Everyone's made up their point on this. But this is the one thing I just want you to think about on this a little bit. I grew up in an era. Imagine this. Imagine this. I grew up in an era when getting vaccines was considered as routine as taking a Tylenol. Now, of course, this isn't the days before COVID. This isn't the days before um, a lot of things um uh, but they were never in any way other than just medicine you took at the doctor so you could register for school the next year or you know whatever i never gave them any more thought than that these diseases measles mumps rubella all of them um we, they were forgotten our generation laughed because all the diseases that our parents and grandparents struggled with we didn't and we never had to worry about it we considered them little you know little tiny miracles and i still do uh, certainly those ones if i consider uh, the COVID vaccine and, and has not been nearly as good as those. I, I, it goes without saying, but um, but the point I want to make is what happened between then and now, where there is you know outright crazy anti-vax. There are people who are sort of anti-vax light. Then there are people who are um, pro-vaccine or take the vaccine. But um, I mean, there's all different shades of people who have ex- expressed skepticism through this process and it sort of tells you like there's a lot of deep-seated mistrust about institutions, about public health, and what you really just sort of have to accept at some level is, and this is what I think are, not you, but I want you to think about this, but this is what our leaders have to accept. In Denmark, why were they able to lift restrictions so quickly, right, before almost anyone in the industrialized world? Because like more than four out of five of them are fully to the brim vaccinated right that was their way out why are they why why do you have that many people vaccinated because they have a high degree of trust in what their health authorities are telling them well why do they have a strong degree of trust in what their health authorities are telling them because at least for their experiences whether it's finland or denmark or any other one of these nordic places because they have competent generally speaking I mean, all governments fail at times but they generally have fairly competent working governments And they, whatever their problems are, they are a fraction of what the years of elite leadership failure have caused here. There is just a large portion of this conversation that is happening by, what I'm trying to articulate to you, all of these things, I don't want to wear masks, I don't want to do this, these these policies that combat COVID are all that, or all of this resistance to doing anything in the name of public health. It's not that in each case there aren't best practices, we should do this and we shouldn't do that. All of that is true. But this general posture of every time public health advocating for something and the other crowd saying no, what it tells you is that there it's not I, I, the argument about its limits is real, but not to the point where we're not like, oh, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I mean again, in, in, there are circumstances where medically it would be unwise for you to do it. But for the vast majority of people not taking it, they would not fall under that that rubric. But the reason they don't take it is because there is a distinct lack of trust and that distinct lack of trust. Is what you need for a society to even have public health to begin with. However, if there is not massive failure, not even, not even, I, I didn't ever heard of Fauci until COVID. Not even that. Rather, not just that. Years of elite leadership failure in government in cl- cases like public health, inconsistent messaging, uh, inability to enact meaningful reforms, making sure people have their voices heard. The the poor governance that we have resulted in an outcome where there was less trust of government, less trust of institutions, less trust of even the public health sector, which I had naively assumed was largely removed from some of the complaints about and reasonable, utterly reasonable complaints about failed governance. But the reality is it extended to them, too. And of course, they have reasons for that that are perfectly reasonable. I'm just trying to point out to you, I lived through a world where we didn't feel that way. And I'm not sure that the medical technology has fallen off so much so that I can explain the difference in attitudes towards vaccine when I was, say, 15 years old versus now when I'm 42 by a decline in the quality of the vaccine. I actually, I mean, yes, the COVID vaccines aren't as good, but I mean, and I guess the process was rushed as, you know, your your polio vaccine, that's really good vaccine, right? I don't mean that, but... What I'm trying to explain to you is what explains that drop-off and what explains all this pushback. Yes, Pfizer is out to collect as much money as possible. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, we could go on down the line of all the ways in which the process could have been and should have been a lot different, Um, but I don't think you can explain how we got to our health outcomes by saying, well, we're just not as good at making vaccines anymore. I mean, this was a worldwide race to get this out the door. That's not the that, that doesn't explain it. And many other countries took all those vaccines and had significantly better health outcomes than we did. I know you can believe clownpenis.fart's coverage on this will be different, but I'm I, I don't I don't listen to that nonsense. So uh to end it on this, what I would say is how we got here is less to me about gee, do the vaccines, are they, are, are they a meaningful way to combat this pandemic? Of course they are. To me, it's why is there so much resistance to something that is, generally speaking, not worthy of the kind of resistance it got? And I think what that comes from is a larger, a much more troubling, larger failure of health institutions, political institutions, and other forms of elite institutions that have failed uh, Americans for probably a couple of generations now And now those chickens are coming home to roost. And now it gets to a point where you've got, you know, tens of millions of people who would be good candidates for good medicine and don't want it. But how can you convince them when their reasons for not trusting authorities is generally pretty good? Generally, generally, pretty good, pretty good, actually. How are you supposed to convince them? I I I can't, I can't do that. All right, I don't know how many of your questions are paid, but if they are, I'll get to them here. Let's try this. I know I know, some of you are going to hate that answer. I'm sorry. I'm always going to have one opinion at a bare minimum you hate. Try to just look past it and wait for the next opinion you donate so much uh, if you can. But, you know, you listen, man. Y'all want me to be honest on this thing. You want me to be honest on this thing, you're going to get answers that sometimes you don't like. What I'm asking for you is to see that we are humans sharing this experience together and that we don't always have to agree. There's lots of you I don't agree with, you know, okay. We don't always have to agree, but what I'm asking you for is express your disagreement. You can Tell me I'm wrong. You can email me. You can say all the things you want to say, but just please don't abandon this if you like this experience because I have opinions on one or two things, maybe more than that, but you know, hardcore things that you don't like. Um, There might be actually a lot of reason for common cause. All right, let's see. Let's check this out. That's more than I thought there'd be. All right, um, let's see. All these hypotheticals talking about the thing with uh, John Nash are ridiculous. Why not have someone who actually deals with contracts? We've seen the, I've seen the contracts, he's seen the contracts, seen numerous contracts who can speak from a professional perspective. That is the guy. He might have been speaking in ways that were accessible to average audiences, but he wasn't speaking in made up or the hypotheticals were based on the most amount of limited information uh, or just an analogy to help better explain things. That guy has access. The only guys who have more information are never going to speak. And they're not fighters, uh, agents, or managers. Let me fucking tell you. You can wait all day. Those managers ain't giving you a thing. And those guys, I don't even understand what MMA managers do by and large. There's just a couple I like. but <laughs> I'm just going to read this. Someone writes, hey, cutie. I feel like Jorge will be able to defend a majority of the takedowns against Colby, but will be complacent against the cage. I bet my gallbladder that Jorge's game plan will revolve around body shots. It will be close. I do think body shots will be a big, important factor. And if he can't, Colby wants you to play the game with him, where you just sort of wilt under the sting, and all you're really thinking about after a time is just getting that to stop. And then you'll start after that. But There's never a starting period. He can't get sucked into that. What is your opinion of the Klitschko brothers willing to pick up arms to defend Ukraine? And those guys sound ready to die. I'm not even saying that hyperbolically. I'm I'm saying it, you don't see a lot of this anymore because we live in a very, we live in a turbulent times, but we live in, relatively speaking, the course of human history, the present situation notwithstanding, we live in safe times, right? We don't have the black plague killing a third of Europe or uh, the Huns coming over the hills and burning our village and raping our wives. So in that sense, seeing people show this kind of, you know, give me liberty or give me death kind of thing, it's admirable, man. I, I I worry about their safety, to be honest with you. Dude, Putin is not going to show them mercy. I um they've been extremely quit- critical of him in like on purpose. Like they're not afraid of this moment, I don't think, but that doesn't make it not dangerous. I have a huge amount of respect for Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko. I wish them nothing but safe passage. And I worry that I worry about what might happen to them here. I I genuinely worry. I really do. Was it a good idea for BKFC to partner up with Triller? Hope not. I like BKFC as it is. Stay up, Luke. Yo, do you see Triller lost, according to Dave Meltzer, they lost $811 million last year? um, Do you understand you could buy Pride? You could buy... How much did they buy Pride for? Was it six or seven hundred million? You could buy Pride and a couple of organizations, like an active Pride, if such a thing even existed, plus other organizations, uh, and you know have a little leftover for a court vet or something. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? We're gonna revolutionize the bit. They're gonna revolutionize bankruptcy court. <laughs> That's what they're gonna write. Wow, well, we've never seen someone coming here for uh, let's see checks notes for being such piss poor managers of finances. Wow, this is. Incredible, sir. How do you plead? You know, or whatever the fuck. I don't know how Baker Street Court goes, but (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. And I'm obviously, I'm just joking. But uh, anyway, you're asking about Triller. I actually think it's a good move for BKFC. I mean, I don't know what Triller wants out of it, which makes it hard to say. But if you're BKFC, these people are just willing to dump cash on things that they barely understand. They probably overpaid for it. So whatever money he got, I bet was good. Moreover, they might be some kind of talent exchange or things they can do where you know one group can spruce up the other one. Remember, BKFC has a better connection to like the grassroots element of the fighters, and Triller was having the Metallica concert and they had Bieber and everything else. You could take sort of the grassroots element and mix it with the pop culture element, and there might be some. I don't know how much money it would make. I mean, I have to see exactly what their vision would be, but like. At least from BKFC standpoint, do I understand why they sold? I I I actually think it's probably... I, told, I, I used to have Dave Feldman on my radio show all the time, the promoter of BKFC. He's not a dumb guy, man. Not at all. I bet he got paid good money for that. So take their fucking money if they're willing to just part with it. Now, they have the controlling chair. So that's the part that gets weird, but I bet he got paid. Okay, Alex Volkanovsky versus three possible champs at lightweight. Okay, Charles, Justin Gaethje, or Islam. Which would you like to see more, and which would be more challenging for Alex? Any of them would be great. I would want to see Islam. Justin, I think, hits too hard. He's just too big. Charles would be a really good one. The Islam one is interesting because on the feet... I don't know what he'd be able to do, but he's so much bigger. And on the ground is really where obviously he does all of his best work, typically. Well, how would he handle that? It's a good question. I don't know. Can we talk about Bruno? Dog. I think I've played that song, I'm not kidding, 75 billion times. That's conservative estimate. Maybe 78 billion, something like that. Not just in English, and, no, no, se habla de Bruno. the whole bit, man, the whole thing. I've watched every angle of it. I've, I've Jesus Lord, you know what? I had a, I have a different perspective on the content than when I first saw it. You know, I gave it a kind of a so-so review. Not that many of you would care about this, but uh, you know, it was my daughter's first movie, and I didn't realize how much I was kind of watching her. I missed a ton in that movie when I watched it, just like without having to worry if my daughter is gonna start, you know. Shoving M and M's up her nostril or whatever, uh, and so when I was able to watch it, you know, a second, third, fourth, billionth time, I really began to see sort of the real beauty in the movie. Uh, I and, and I enjoyed the songs a little bit more. My one sort of criticism of uh, Lynn, is it Lynn Manuel Miranda is that his name? His songs are so wordy. It's like, dude, you don't have to stuff as many words into there as possible. You can you can you can edit some of that out. Uh, but other than that, I've really had a bit of a change of heart. I really, it's a beautiful movie and it's a beautiful demonstration of, um, you know, a lot of different things. But in part, some of the magic, you know, the, the magical realism, as Gabor used to call it, um, of Columbia. Holy fuck, this guy just left $100. Thank you. That's very, very generous. Let me hit one up. This person writes, oh, it's Ian. Ian's from D.C. What's up, Ian? Thank you, bro. Halfway through the John Nash video, uh, thanks so much for this. Encouraging intellectual conversations in the MMA space is so important. Thanks so much for all the content and for making Morning Combat the best show in MMA space. Best from D.C. Go commies. I'm not calling the commanders commies. I might call them my old, my old team if they go to fucking Loudoun County. Or where is it? Prince William County? Excuse me. Uh, As a staunch 19-year-old capitalist, reading Piketty's book was pretty insightful. Thanks for the good read. Why do you feel the MMA community leans far left they don't lean far left they lean to the right oh yes means i mean far right yes um i don't fully understand it other than i here's my best read on this um i used i used to have very different views but at the time yeah they were more liber, like right leaning libertarian at the time i was in the marine corps um it just attracts that kind of person more I noticed that in the enlisted class, we got. I, I actually got along with my. This This maybe you will like this. Maybe you won't. I fucking hate uh, Hillary Clinton and I hate the Clintons and I hate. Uh, well, he was better than a lot of choices, but like the cronyism of Terry McAuliffe used to drive me up the fucking wall. You know, like those guys. That, that's the one problem. Like even if you agree with all of their views, which I do not. But even if you did, just the fucking insider cronyism. And the control over the, the 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 democratic apparatus was just nauseating to me. Anyway, I used to get re- along really well with my platoon sergeant because he fucking hated Hillary too. And that was the one thing we would be in the field freezing and we'd just be joking back and forth. Um, but then I noticed the entire officer class was the same. They they, I mean, they might have had a you know a they've had master's degrees in business or whatever, but they ultimately arrived in the same way. When the voting booth was there, they were popping in the same choices. It just attracts that kind of person more. There are those kinds of people who hold those kinds of views are much more attracted to, I think places that are seen as ruggedly individualistic. Obviously the military is not in that sense, but you know, um, these sort of, uh, patriotism generally, I would say is much more common among right leaning than left leaning. um, is a big part of it and s- service to nation I don't know about that but uh, it just is better about tracking those kinds of people they, they people who hold the political views that I do I don't think see themselves aligned with military service as a way and this is, this is a broad generalization there are many people who have my kinds of views but as a as a rule like there was much more of the opposite kind. I don't think people with my political views are, as I am, moved to national service or um, the benefits of military life, and and also just being around people who are not like you. People don't want to do that this, these days. They don't want to be around people who are not like them. I'm only around people who are not like me. You know, I'm only online. I'm like that, and maybe so not so much BC or whatever. But you know, when I go to an event or something. No no one agrees with me. It's, it's all the opposite. So like if there just has to be this self-selection, this recruitment. Uh, along what lines ideologically, like what specifically is it that is pulling them there? I think there's sort of the the, the masculinity involved or the perceived sort of masculine culture, some patriotism on the military side. Um, and also, dude, I will say this, for people who are far right-leaning, not far right-leaning, that's not true. What I mean is some people who have some right... When I say far right, I mean like people who have got tiki torches in Charlottesville. I'm not talking about that. But what I will say is there, and you did see this a little bit in COVID, there are people in combat sports who are there's just a little bit more out there. And sometimes that can be out there in a good way, where they're just free spirits, can be out there in a bad way, where they can be manipulated by others. But like, there's a lot of just like, you know, weirdos in a good way kind of doing their own thing. And that doesn't dovetail nicely with right-wing politics per se, but what I mean to say is that you get some of the same things that bind people who do have those views are this mistrust of authority, this rejection of rules, that kind of a thing. That has, even if they were far to the, well, they wouldn't be far to the, but even if they had different political views, people who are aligned in that way, I think, tend to be attracted to those kinds of worlds. Honest review of Athletic Greens, dude. It's not a joke. I'm on my personal channel. I could just skip this question. I'm answering it forthrightly, dude. I love taking them. Now, exactly what benefit it provides over the long term, I don't know. But um, they are delicious to drink. It's easy. It's an easy way for me to squeeze in some micronutrients that I might miss with my diet. It's a free cup of water, right? In terms of just like making sure you're staying hydrated. I, I love it, dude. Even if they didn't sponsor us, I would take it. That's a that's a real thing. Plans for the new studio. Oh, how about this? Oh, what can I tell you? How can I say this? Um, We haven't shown a lot of it yet. A lot of it yet. Not just that. There's going to be some special programming coming your way. Uh someone's asking about are we going to create conditions for tyrants to live I mean listen these are very complex things you should definitely read if you take one thing that I say from this it is hey go read experts on this okay? don't do anything else other than that I'm giving you merely my opinion but I'm asking you if you would like to know more about this please go read about it from as many sources as you can but in just terms of like having served in the military and my, my limited capacity um, it's a cruel and deeply unfair world it would be it would be potentially catastrophic and utterly unnecessary for the united states interests to intervene in the ukraine if they keep going well then you have some problems but uh, there's at least, I saw one person theorizing that Russia's military, yes, it has nuclear armaments, but their, their ability to fight a ground war is actually not nearly as robust as people might imagine. We might see evidence of that. Um, I don't know. We have to see how this kind of goes. But, you know, whenever we talk about military, might, we can talk about, I mean, unless they I mean drone wars, I don't know. But we really have to think very carefully about our interests, how we preserve them, what matters when we have the call to violence, what the do. Going to war with a nuclear power over a territory that I feel is a, is, a, is this is going to be a this could end up being one of the great calamities of your life, depending on your age and how this goes. It could be. Iraq is one of, the, the Iraq war that we launched the second one and the first one too, but second one for sure uh, is one of the great human rights calamities I've ever seen. Now, in one single day, nine eleven was a bad day, um, a really bad day. Uh, and you know, there's been some other ones. Certainly, some natural disasters that have uh, you know. Remember, do you remember there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed thousands of years ago? You know, these these seriously ho- horrible situations. Um, but in terms of man-made ones, this could end up being one of the more defining ones of your life. Truly, it could be that. But you, that doesn't that doesn't mean we can't ignore um, ways in which we can make it worse by thinking that a military solution is. A possible and B a good idea, or C doesn't carry additional costs. It always does, it all it always will. And these things, and is another thing, dude. War is not only nasty, it is unpredictable. It can go in a lot of different ways and set in motion a lot of different things you never intended. Right? ISIS, <laughs> right? Um is a big thing, you know. So um exercising some restraint in the form of peace and delivering sanctions. That was the only card. Uh, Listen, I I don't think you guys have ever heard me say a nice word about President Biden, and you may never. Do not like him. Didn't vote for him, wouldn't vote for him. My life depended on it. Don't like him. Don't like him. But I don't know what other card, whether he was an officer or anyone else, had to play. Military intervention, to me, is not on the table. And now you had sanctions from 2014 that Congress holds, which will just live there, uh, from before, and you're now going to add on sanctions that begin to remove them from the global financial system. I think at this stage, that's all we really can do, uh, at least from, from while preserving some rational sense about things. It is an uncomfortable and awful situation. My contribution to your next haircut. Thank you, Josh. Is there a way to support the chat that is not tied to contributing to the super chat? Yes, I'm working on something. I got to get to the new studio. Uh, thoughts on the Texas bill focusing on trans children and their, uh, their parents being investigated? Didn't I see that there were like five DAs in the, the, uh, in the Dallas and the nearby area that said they weren't even going to prosecute this? This will be challenged in court and overturned. This is not going to last. In the meantime, this is a, uh, you know, I just don't understand how people can be like, I'm really concerned about my kids learning critical race theory and high school and the guy who is the architect of that who claims that you know, this is a pernicious thing that has to be weeded out with quite little book bans uh he's pro freedom ostensibly and yet um, he has enacted measures that suggest that uh this is all about making sure the parents had were the ones in charge now I don't I've never waded into trans issues i I try to keep my politics as focused as I can on things that I think I can be beneficial on, which is not this issue, but just from a very basic logical standpoint, you can't claim to be a one to put power in the hands of parents, and then when parents, in conjunction with doctors, make choices about their children, now you have to remove them from this process. Um, I don't know what the right answer is, but I would imagine anything Greg Abbott has to say on this matter, and then any kind of decree he would issue would be overturned in court. He's not especially bright. All right. A couple more of these and then we'll call it a day thanks for finding the time I feel the same about Eastern European women as you do Latino women <laughs> okay uh, Luke what the F what's the name of the book on BJJ Roots and the rich bullies you had mentioned the names of the bullies were called the Jujubre that's spelled J-U-J-U-B-R-E Jujubre or Jujubre I'm not sure how you pronounce it it's a Portuguese word The book was, I will tell you, um, it was by uh, Sam Sheridan. Sam Sheridan had a, a not a cameo, but a smaller role in as one of the commentators, I think alongside Brian Callan in the movie Warrior. And he wrote A Fighter's Heart and A Fighter's Mind. I think it's A Fighter's Heart is is in that book, Sam Sheridan. And that is it, that is it folks. I hope you guys are okay. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're safe. And my heart goes out to everyone affected by this madness. Um, may it end as quickly as it as it started. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Uh, this will be on Apple Podcasts. Peace.